Welcome to the Living Alive Podcast. I'm Autumn Shields, a Master Connect coach, speaker, author, and serial entrepreneur, and most importantly, your hostess here to help you live your life alive. See, I believe we all have the ability to feel and be guided by life's nudges to live on purpose. So I'm inviting you to take this journey with me. Whether you were here just wanting to dip your toe in the water and see what this is all about, or maybe you were ready to dive deep. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. On this show, you'll hear powerful life-changing stories from thought leaders of all walks of life that are stirring things up. We will guide you on living your life fully alive, how to identify the nudges, and why living a healthy lifestyle actually makes a difference. So get ready to be inspired, challenged, and connected because it's your time to make a splash. Do you feel like we all just got pushed off the dock to set sail in completely uncharted waters? Like we're discovering a brand new world? I know that so many of us are trying to navigate through these uncharted waters. Well, today's guest is going to help us do just that. She's going to provide us tools on how to help ourselves and how to help our families and beyond. She's an extremely talented and smart bilingual, both in Spanish and English, licensed professional counselor. She specializes in helping individuals and couples and families navigate through trauma. She's going to give us tools that we can implement today and beyond this on how to practice skills to help us be able to handle things that come our way. On the fun side, she is the oldest of 10 children She's actually competed in bodybuilding and was nationally qualified as a bikini competitor. She's also an amazing trained salsa dancer and has competed in the World Latin Dance Cup in Miami. On the professional side, she believes that achieving a whole health can only occur after one accounts for the function of the mind, body, and spirit in conjunction. I would like to welcome to the show, Allie Douglas Corraro. And I'm sure I botched that last name, but she will say it correctly. Welcome to the show. Hello. So thank you for joining us. I know as a therapist, um, you're very, very busy right now with what we're going through. And I know um, your main practice is in Colorado. And I know Colorado has been on lockdown. And and I know most restaurants are closed for two months and salons and um, all essentials. And now you guys are locked down. So I know as a therapist, you are inundated with people right now. So thank you for taking the time and many of us are finding ourselves in uncharted waters. And um, as a therapist, I, I know that you're dealing with, you know, you're, you normally deal with families and adults and couples. And I would just like some feedback from you and some insight on what people are kind of experiencing and maybe to pass on some tools for us that we can utilize in our lives right now, since we are in uncharted waters and we're trying to, you know, make the best of this new changed world. Yeah, absolutely. Autumn. I think it's been really interesting working as a therapist during this time because we're also living through it alongside all of our clients. And I'm in a very broad network of therapists who are talking with each other just about how we can best support people through such a difficult time. And I'd be happy to share maybe just starting with a little bit of kind of what I'm seeing that other people are struggling with and dealing with so that you can, your listeners can kind of understand 
what we're working on in the therapy room and feel like they're not the only ones feeling that way. And then maybe I can move into some tools for them after that. Great. Great. Okay. So over the last week, it's been really interesting. The first week of sessions that I started, so I started doing telehealth online counseling video sessions on March 16th. So I am now officially almost at the end of my second week of this. And it's been really interesting. I know for many people who are used to being in the room with a therapist, it was a little scary for some people to switch over to this different modality of receiving therapy. It's not the same. Um, when you're on a screen with someone as it is having their energy and support in the room, but it's also something that can still be really effective. And I have found it really interesting to see how I would say this week, people are much, um, much more processing the reality of the situation this week than they were last week. So when we talk about grief, a lot of people have heard about the five stages of grief and if you are a therapist who specializes in grief, which caveat, that is not me. I'm not a specialist in grief, but I've heard from my colleagues who are, it's not actually something where you go through a linear five stages at all. Um, that's just not how grief works. We tend to ebb and flow and bounce back and forth between the different feelings. And I would say that would be the best um, model or example. I would say of what I'm seeing is people going through different phases back and forth, like if you look at a, if you were to look at a graph right now, we would be seeing, you know, a spiky line that pops up and down, up and down, up and down. It does not look linear in a nice, clean fashion. In between these phases of denial, where many people thought this was a joke or a hoax or not real, um, and that it was, I've even heard, you know, a plot by the government, right? Things that. Um, really people didn't think that this was actually legitimately a concern. And then switching from that place to this processing of, oh, wow, this is really, really happening. I'm actually being told I can't leave my house. Um, and I think for many people, there's been ebbs and flows of anxiety mixed with denial and shock, um, some anger, a lot of anger. Anger is a part of the grief process of loss. And I'm seeing a lot of anger from people who lost jobs or small business owners who are very frustrated to be losing their income, of course, right? It's a really scary time if you lose your job. Um, and also some anger from people just losing different normal liberties um, of being able to go out and do whatever they want whenever they want to. And I think the cool thing is, at least the people that I work with, um, I've noticed a lot of people accepting now that they have a very powerful role to play in being kind of like your everyday modern hero, like by doing their part of, like you said earlier, I think we've, we've joked about, you know, sitting on the couch, that's your job right now is following the rules and doing your part to help protect other people from not getting sick and other people that you might come into contact with while also doing your part to support our healthcare system workers and not putting them through any more, really scary hard things than they normally would. So I would just say that a lot of people are feeling really unsettled and nervous, but I will say I've seen the gamut from people who are maybe not as concerned as I personally think they should be. And then other people who are um, very, very concerned. And that depends on where you're at in terms of what your privileges are. Cause some people are sitting in a privilege, pretty privileged position such as myself. Like I'm still working and making an income 
working from home, but a lot of people don't have that right now. So their experience is much more difficult. It's really scary for them not knowing if they will be able to pay rent and keep getting food and putting that on the table. So it's been, it's been really interesting. Yes. And I love that analogy between grief because a lot of us are losing things, but we wouldn't necessarily categorize that as grief. But I think that's a great example to use because as people move through grief, we have to understand that, especially if you're a family or a couple, that one person might be kind of in denial and the next person is feeling anxiety or the next person's feeling mad. And to just remember to give ourselves grace, but each other grace, because we are all spiking at different times and going through the different emotions of our brains actually processing this from I don't really think this is serious to, okay, this is serious to, okay, I lost my job. Okay. Now I can't leave my house. Okay. What is tomorrow bringing? And then we just watch the news and we're inundated with media and internet and a lot of false information. And so it is amazing to watch how from a psychological standpoint, it is very similar to the grief process that we're all over the place. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made about, Um, that I hope is something that families listening to this will take from it, as well as people who are in relationships or just processing with friends, is that we all process grief differently. And this really is grief. I think that's one thing that I try to help my clients learn through therapy is that grief is not just death. One of my specialties is toxic relationships. So I work with a lot of people who are healing from the loss of uh, just a breakup. And it's helpful to recognize that we, if we can expand upon how we think about defining grief, we can apply it to what's going on right now and have a lot more compassion and empathy for each other. Like you said, just knowing that we're probably not going to be on the same page as our partners or our family members every day. It's just not likely that those spikes are going to perfectly align. And especially too, like you said, we're being inundated with the media and the information we're being provided is constantly changing, right? Every day it's, Maybe it's going to be, you know, maybe we're going to open things back up in a couple of weeks. Maybe this is going to be an 18 month thing until it's just so many different messages that aren't clear that make those spikes even more, more frequent, I would say, than maybe other traumas where we can have a bit of acceptance um, and, and begin to say, okay, let, I'm going to process that this is really happening and I'll move forward from here. But we really just don't even know what we're dealing with right now. And I think that's also making it harder than a normal situation might be. Yes. And I think just the family dynamics in general is changing. We're not used to kids being home this long and mm, yeah. that's having a change in so many families and, or people are used to going to work maybe. And those people or one or both are either at home working and, or, they're not working. And so people around each other a lot more, it's just all the dynamics are changing and it's a lot for people to process, you know, day to day. So as people are trying to process this and we are all over the place and, you know, kiddos are watching us, they're trying to process the best they can, um, regardless, you know, whether they're little ones or teens are trying to process this because the world's definitely not the same and they sense it and feel it. And it's really weird to be held out of school this long. And the focus is definitely on older people to try to protect them. And, you know, but a lot of times we're not getting to those people in our families because we're not supposed to be visiting. So we're not visiting and supporting our families like we normally are. Um, my dad's girlfriend's in the hospital right now and she's barely had any visitors. They're not, not allowed. And it's so sad to watch families being separated, you know, to some extent. And then the nuclear families being held really tight together in homes. So what are some tools that you've seen that people are starting to utilize that really help them day by day? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
You bring up really good points where it's interesting working with families, especially I work with many moms and just how challenging it is to adjust to this new normal. And like you said, like part of, you know, that, that old phrase, right? It takes a village. We're, we're getting disconnected from our villages right now. Like you said, the nuclear family is close, but those care providers that you normally would have, even people who don't necessarily lean on a parent or an aunt to help them with the kids, but the nannies aren't always being able to come back into the home. So it, one of the things that I really, this is, I'm going to explain this concept um, and then some specific tools that it will be that you can take it with and use um, to help during this difficult time. And the first is that when you are going through a traumatic experience, your limbic system is going to be highly, highly activated. Normally, when I'm in front of someone and they can see me, I make a fist with my hand and I put my thumb inside my fingers. So if you imagine, you know, if you took your fist right now and it made like you're going to punch someone and you tuck your thumb inside, this is kind of a model that I use of the brain and the fingers that are on the outside, like your knuckles represent the area of your brain, which is right behind your forehead. And that's what we call your prefrontal cortex. And that's where all of your compassion, all of your curiosity, all of your confidence and your social engagement, that's where that lies. But then if you were to lift those four fingers up and reveal the thumb on the inside, your thumbnail kind of represents that what we call the amygdala. And I think of the amygdala as um, similar to like the night guard standing outside of the towers, like in those medieval movies and looking out over the tower, wanting to protect the city from any incoming danger. And all of us have our amygdalas inside of us. And when there is a lot of information coming at us that feels that it is, it's not even that it feels right. It is dangerous. We actually are dealing with real danger that part gets extra activated and lit up. And then it sends that information from the amygdala down into what I use as my wrist when I'm doing this model. Um, and that represents the brainstem. So if you were to touch where your hair kind of hits the back of your neck or your, or your head, I mean, right back there, that's kind of like where your brainstem's at. And that's going to be sending signals to the rest of your body through your nervous system to start to respond in ways that protect you and keep you safe. So sometimes that looks like sweaty palms. Sometimes it looks like your blood pumps faster and your temperature rises in your body so that you can either run really fast and get away from the situation or you can fight someone and hopefully you'll be the one that survives. These are very real and very primitive like caveman type reactions that we have in our human brains. The problem is that we're wired for survival and we're wired to protect ourselves. And when we get trapped in that state of being, We are not able to socially engage. We are not able to show compassion towards others. We are not able to be strategic and curious and looking for solutions. This is why you see two people, you know, getting into a fist fight on TikTok, right? Or Instagram videos of people fighting each other over toilet paper at the grocery store. It's because people are trapped in their limbic system right now. And the way that you can be helpful to your families, the way that you can be helpful to your children is you taking care of you. And this is something that I've told many parents that I've worked with over the years since day one. Um, I highly recommend a book called Scream Free Parenting. Um, And I'm trying to remember the author right now. But this is a book written by a licensed marriage and family therapist and talks about this concept 
in general. This is, should be something we're doing all the time, but right now with COVID, more than ever, it's really important to recognize that the key here is getting out of the limbic system and accessing your prefrontal cortex. So does that make sense? Getting out of this area. This, I think so, that's such a great explanation of that because I think we're so quick to judge how other people are acting, uh, you know, rather it's hoarding toilet paper. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how can they do that when mm-hmm. there's other people standing right in line that need it also? Why are they taking five when they could easily just take one? I think if we can understand how, what part of the brain people are acting out of and if they're in that fight or flight mode and, and give people grace and understand that they're, they're just not processing things right. They're not able to show compassion. doesn't mean they still should be doing that, but it gives us an understanding of why people are lashing out or in that fear state. And I think that that's a great advice is the number one thing is the more we're able to take care of ourselves, the more we can stay out of that state. So whether it's toilet paper or yelling at the kids or, or judging each other because you have, you know, you say you're a Democrat and you say you're a Republican and all these people that are so judgmental and angry and so much anger towards each other and knowing that where that comes from in the brain. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Autumn. It's about understanding the science behind the behavior so that we can have more compassion towards each other. A lot of times when people go through trauma, they deal with guilt and shame, feeling like they did something stupid. A lot of times is the word I've heard, or I was dumb. How could I have done that? How could I have let that happen? And I think it's so important that people remember, I think of the the limbic system, kind of like you're locked in the garage of your house. And for, in this analogy, for whatever reason, your garage door is locked and you're angry at yourself that you're not able to use something that's upstairs in the bedroom. Like you're not in the bedroom. You can't access anything inside of your bedroom if you're trapped in the garage. And when people are trapped in that limbic system, they are not able to access their IQ. So if you can have all the intelligence in the world and you still might respond in the way that someone would describe as feeling not the most informed or not the smartest way to respond, or right. I said earlier that social engagement piece, maybe not the kindest or most compassionate way in that moment, you won't be able to respond in that way. It's not because you aren't compassionate or you aren't smart. It's because you literally have locked the door to the vault that has like the gold, all the things that make you able to be a helpful member of society because you're trapped in limbic. So that's why I think it's so important to understand this so that you can have compassion. That doesn't mean because someone does something like that, that they're a bad person or that when they're calmed down and they get back home, they might not have any guilt or remorse for what they did. They probably do. But in that moment, if you're trapped in that limbic system, you can't do anything about it. So So our job is to stay in the rest of the house. Our job is to take care of ourselves and do things, which we can share a little bit on self-care and what that looks like for individuals. But so our job is to stay in that house. But for some reason, if we find ourselves locked in that garage, if I find out I've just been laid off, like I thought I was going to, you know, my boss told me I had money for the next few weeks and now all of a sudden that's not coming through. Like, not only am I discouraged, then I just feel like I got hit in the stomach. Like, how do I get myself out of that garage? Yes, that's a great question. So this is where I'm going to move into some of the very specific tools that I use with my clients and use personally as well. Um, Because self-care is absolutely a part of it. But in the moment, we really need specific techniques that are going to get us out of that place as soon as possible, right? Because we want to change this as fast as we can. Um, And that starts by going all the way back to the basics. And the first one is deep breathing. 
We've all heard it before that we need to take deep breaths and relax. But sometimes I know I was one of those people that when I was younger, I didn't understand why. So our brain lifts off of oxygen. Oxygen is the food for the brain. Your prefrontal cortex is at the top. It's all the way up there. And it's the most highly functioning area of your brain. If you take shallow breaths, you are not only not getting oxygen up, that's like the food for your prefrontal cortex, you're not getting the food all the way up to feed the area that's going to be able to think well, but you're also sending a message to your nervous system that kind of gets you into this nasty cycle, right? So you have shallow breaths and your body goes, that was a shallow breath. We're in danger. So then you start thinking you have what we call in therapy cognitions. You start thinking, yeah, I'm in trouble. Or yeah, really, there's never going to be any more chicken ever again, right? And then you have that thought and then your breath gets shorter again and it gets you into a cycle that reinforces your your nervous system to think that you're in true real danger, like you're actually being chased by a lion or a bear, even though you're not. So the first step is just deep breathing. The way that I teach that to my clients is starting by just practicing once a day, usually first thing in the morning. Um, For some people, it works really well to do right before bed or like in the middle of the day to break up your afternoon, especially if you've got kiddos at home and everything's like high stress or tension, it's loud and chaotic. It might be great to break up your day in the middle of the day with just setting a timer. And even you can do all of these exercises with your children. And this is great modeling that really would be wonderful if parents were doing this everywhere all the time. But what a better time than now, you know, to be doing this. So I start with deep breath in for a count of four. And then you pause and hold the breath for just one count of one. And then slowly exhale out through the mouth. And every time, it should be a count of four in and pause for one. And by the way, breathing in through the nose. And then that pause for one and then out through the mouth. And if you can exhale for longer than four counts, that's actually even better. There's some research on having a longer exhale being more helpful. But usually four counts in is a good starting point. And then you can work your way up to trying to take longer breaths. But when you're first starting now, it's good to start with something that feels doable for you. So four is usually feasible for most people. Um, Another fun way that I do deep breathing with kids, if you've got children at home, is what we call box breathing or figure eight breathing. So you just put your finger up and you start to create the shape of a box as you breathe. And you take one deep breath in while you go up. And then when you go left and right, you go your exhale out. You just continue making the shape of a box. How fun is that? And I appreciate you explaining the science behind what happens with breath and brain, because I swear every single, it doesn't matter what topic or what guest I have on, um, we talk about breathing and how important it is for everything in life, let alone just going through this, um, a lot of trauma right now. But what is amazing is that I feel like a lot of times when people are told you need to take a deep breath, it's being, it's the same thing as like, Oh, you need to relax. The initial thing is I don't want to, like, I don't want to take a deep breath. I don't want to relax. I want to hold on to the state because I can't, you know, I'm hyped up. I can't get myself to calm down. And just to learn to practice it, just like you said, when we're not going through something. So we learn what that does for our brain and we learn to trust it because it, it is a real thing. It's not just a, it's somebody suggesting you to calm down. It's something that is supplying your brain what exactly needs at that moment. So I appreciate that explanation. Absolutely. And, you know, I think some of the, 
the, the longer explanations that I tend to make with a lot of my clients is because I'm a highly analytical person too. And I was also someone who was very resistant <laughs> to the deep breathing until I really realized um, through practicing it one-on-one by myself when I was calm, totally as just like I used to play the piano. It's right. You, when you learn something new, you practice that skill. You don't just hop on the stage and play a song from memory in front of everybody. You on your own, on a calm day, make it part of your routine or your schedule. You're practicing your scales. You're practicing your song and your finger placement when you're calm and relaxed every single day over and over again before you perform. So when you're in a crisis, it's usually that's a performance state. So you don't want to be whipping out new tools in a moment of performance and expecting yourself to do it well. So I think a huge thing is understanding that these things need to be practiced just as much as you would for any type of presentation or hobby or sport that you might play. So I like starting with the box breathing and the figure eight is very similar and that's easily looked up online. If you look up figure eight breathing, there's more information about that, but I start with that and understanding that that's something that we have to practice daily. And then I move people into another one that I really enjoy, which is called the five senses. Um, It's called the five senses grounding technique. This is honestly something that I found helpful. Even if you walk into the grocery store and you see the empty shelves and you feel anxious again to do right then in the moment in the grocery store. And that's really simple. So if I were walking into the grocery store and seeing things off the shelf, the first thing that I'm going to do to help ground myself is try to take some deep breaths. But if I'm struggling with that, one of the other ways that I'm going to make that happen is by doing the five senses. So I'm going to look for five things I can see, right? Maybe I see the gray metal grocery cart with the red um, plastic part on the handlebars. I see the black basket. I see the red apples. I see the green spinach in the box over there. And I see um, the pink and purple and blue kombuchas over there on the other shelf. I'm going to go through five things I can see. Then I'm going to go to four things that I can feel. So I feel my, my toes inside of my shoes right now touching the floor in the grocery store. I can feel my hand either on my purse or maybe touching the grocery cart. I can feel my sweatshirt rubbing against my, my wrists and my neck. Um, I can feel my whatever other thing. Maybe you have a hat on, right? Or you can feel your pants touching your legs or your socks rubbing against your ankle. I find four things I can feel. And then I go to three things that I can um, that I can hear. So I can hear the person next to me chatting. I can hear the other person, the wheel of the grocery cart squeaking. And someone else, I can hear their footsteps walking by me. Or I can hear the sound of them picking up something next to me. So I find three things next that I can hear and I keep going down. Next is two things that I can smell. In the grocery store, there's probably a lot of things you can smell, right? But if you're at home doing this or somewhere else where there's not a lot of sense, what I always tell people is you can smell your own hair or you can smell a piece of your clothing. Just take a big deep breath and grab like the the collar of your shirt or your sweater and just take a deep breath and notice what the smell of the detergent smells like. If you have um, essential oils or a candle or something like that nearby, you can do that as well, but you don't have to. You can do this without any extra objects, just using your own body and clothing. And then the last one is something that you can taste. So if I have water, I will stop and take a sip of the water. Um, Or if I'm at home and I have a coffee or something like that, I might take a taste of that. 
If I'm not in a place with something I can physically taste, then you use a visualization. And I imagine a big juicy apple. That's just what I picked. You can pick whatever you want. And I imagine that I'm taking that bite into the, the first bite into that apple, right? Because it's this loud crunch and there's some juices and it's tart and sweet. It's very sensory. And once I've done that, I've now completed my five senses. And over the course of me detailing that out for the last couple of minutes, I have now accessed my prefrontal cortex because every single scent or sense, excuse me, that we have is information that goes through the prefrontal cortex. So that's how you get out of the limbic system as well. It's like your pathway up the staircase into your bedroom, basically. Awesome. Great analogy. Uh, one other one that I would like to share with your listeners too, um, is also one that I find helpful and fun. These are also fun to do with kids Um, and kids are usually better at them than adults. So bringing your kids into this is wonderful because they can, they can help you get more creative and imaginative because that's the other thing is that accessing humor and accessing curiosity and creativity are all actions that are going to help us access our prefrontal cortex because those are the opposite of survival. So if you struggle with this, have your kids help you do it. So the other way we do it is through this exercise called calm place. So maybe Autumn, you can even think about this now because I know you've been to a lot of beautiful places. If you can imagine like one of the places that you've been in your life, that's one of the most relaxing, calm, beautiful places that you've ever been. Does anything come into your mind as like a really calm place? Yes, I always have my happy place on Big Beach and on Maui, Hawaii. It's always my place that I go to immediately when needed. Yes, yes. Mine's also in Maui because I was on a family trip to Maui one time. That's funny. When um, I was by the beach and that really stuck for me. I always encourage people to try to use a place that they remember pretty well. Um, sometimes it's the beach. Sometimes it's a cabin in the mountains. Other times it's like the tree and grand's and grandpa's backyard. That was just very relaxing. And somebody would go sit up on that tree all the time. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it just needs to be something that you can remember the details of very well. And you'll just go through, like in your case, Autumn, the beach in Maui, you would go through the five senses there. So with your eyes closed, taking a few deep breaths, you would just go in and list five things that you can see, four things that you can feel touching your skin, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one taste. But really accessing those stimuli in that calm place of yours. And what you'll find many times I have people go, wow, this is the most relaxed I've felt in a week, just doing this for a minute right now with you. And it's because your brain gets the benefits of being on that vacation or in that safe, calm place, even if you're not physically there, if you can really lean into those senses and get into it. So I always encourage people try to use colors and textures. Don't just say like, I see the waves, I see the sun, I see the clouds, right? get into it. What are the, what do the waves look like? How fast are they moving? What is the shape and the color of the waves? And that's actually one of the exercises that I do for people before we go into trauma work, such as EMDR, which stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is a pretty well-known intervention for trauma to help people overcome difficult things they've been through in their life. And before they're able to do that, I teach them all of these types of skills. So this is a great one as well. I think that's great. And I love the analogy of like walking up the stairs because walking up the stairs is effort. Like I might be stuck in the garage right now. I know I don't like it here, 
but walking up the stairs is effort. And I love the word that you used is lean in because we do have to lean into these. This is practice. And sometimes it's just easier to stay in that state and we don't want to leave it because anything else feels like work and we're already overwhelmed. But I love that these are just a few minutes. These are, this is practice. This isn't, you know, these techniques, this doesn't take a lot of time or money, but it does take intention. It does take making the decision to say, you know what, it's worth me spending these two minutes to visualize this and really work through what she said of like leaning in and focusing on these things. Two minutes can take you to a whole nother state. And that whole other state is where we need to get to. And so it is, it is just that little leaning in and it doesn't feel right in the beginning, but I encourage everyone to really practice these on little tiny things we're anxious over and, or big things. So when we're feeling those things, we already have those skills. Like you said, that these are skills that we can practice right now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love using these because they're, like you said, they're all free, they're all available, but you are absolutely right. None of these things, like I try to be very honest and transparent with anyone that I work with. Like, this is not easy. I'm not saying that this is easy to do or fun to do, right? It takes effort and practice. Just like I do not love practicing my skills for 15, 20 minutes every single day to prepare to have the technique and skills, technical skills, right? To play a more advanced song that sounds more fun for an audience down the road. But we really need to put that same amount of intention behind what we do. And it is simple. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's not super complicated, but I wouldn't call it easy. I would say it takes work. And I think that that's important to recognize that we're honest about, you know, what to expect when we're doing these things. But I can say just as one other important point for your listeners, are there are lots of ways to do this that are fun. Um, You can do this with your children and have them draw. I've had kids that work with me who we draw out each of their five things. Um, And they can even do with kids. You can do in the current moment what they're seeing, but you can also do their five favorites, right? And give them, they can do this as an exercise at home. Like what are five of my favorite things to see like in our house that I like seeing? What are four things that I like to feel like blankets and pillows and my favorite shirt, things like that. You can make it fun. You can go out for a walk with your kids and do this. I love to walk with clients outside and do this, identifying things outside in nature. You can also do other ways of getting at the same. The point here that I want to make is that you just need to find your ways to get up that staircase and into your bedroom. And there are lots of other ways besides the ones I listed to do that. For me, another one is running. I like to run outside. And sometimes I just listen to my, sometimes I've actually, I used to love listening to music, but I found that I really enjoy incorporating mindfulness into my runs now. So I actually turn my headphones off and just listen to the sound of my feet hitting the pavement or the dirt. I listen to the sounds of the cars passing by. I look at the things around me. So I use exercise for that. Yoga is another great one, right? That gets into your body and being present. Even if you're, I have a history of enjoying weightlifting, even if you're lifting weights, if you can pay attention, what does it feel like to feel your muscle under tension and feel that burn and keep going and tolerating that distress and continuing through that movement, right? That's a parallel to our lives. And that's the way that you can practice mindfulness and focusing on an external stimulus, something that's physical. All of those things help access that prefrontal cortex. So cooking a good meal and paying attention to what you're cooking and eating it slowly and chewing your food fully and noticing the textures and the taste, those are all ways that we access that prefrontal cortex. So there's many, many different ways to do it. If one of these ways is not your favorite, um, those are really 
simple and accessible to start with, but there's a lot of ways that you can get creative with this and, and work on that goal, right, of getting into your prefrontal cortex. Because if you as a parent do that, your children feel that, right? Children feel the energy of their parents. It doesn't really matter as much um, if you're saying the right things. If your nervous system isn't regulated, even though you're saying the right things, your children, there are mirror neurons in our brains where they're going to pick up and mirror what they're seeing in you. So it's very important as adults that we do our part so that we can help people, younger people in our lives or people with disabilities or mental illness struggles, like to help support them by taking care of us first. Absolutely. And I believe most listeners that are on this podcast, on the show, the whole point is to live our life alive. And so I believe all of us are striving. Mm. We are trying to find tools and we're trying to be mindful and conscious about what's going on and, and doing what's good for our body and our mind. And once in a while we slip, you know, once in a while we find ourselves in a place that's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling anxious or, oh my gosh, this just happened and it's awful and whatever it is. And so it's such a good reminder that these tools are there. Just like you said, these are some tools, there's other tools out there and but they work. And I love that you bring up practice because out of anybody, I have to just brag on you for a minute, out of anybody that believes in practice and implements and, and always strives forward is you. So I actually met Ali um, salsa dancing and um, I started before her and um, we were both like, you know, a year in and then I started dancing with her and noticed she was a lot better than me. And what happens is practice means you actually put in the minutes, the steps over and over. It's not, oh, I've been doing this a year, right? Because a year is just a matter of time. It's what we actually do to practice. She just happened to practice a lot, but it was a mindful thing of saying, I want to get to this place. I want to compete. I want to get better. And those all, every step that we take every day makes a big difference. Same in the gym. Ali's also been a competitor in a bikini competition. And so as bodybuilding competition, but in bikini. And so what happens is that it's the same thing. It's every time you go into the gym, why well, go into the gym, but am I doing the reps? Am I doing the lifts? And it's those things every single day that makes you the best. It's every single day that makes you being able to be the best you want to be in whatever area. And so I just encourage you, whatever area you're in right now, we cannot give up during these times of being our best. It doesn't matter if it's eating or working out or striving to write that book or um, pick up that musical instrument or keep working or keep writing or keep doing whatever it is because it's so easy to get discouraged. But I know the people that are listening on um, to the show are not willing and wanting to take on that role of like, this just happened to me, that we have control over our lives um, with what we do next. And I think these are such great tips and tricks to be able to just kind of put some normalcy back into our day and start practicing on something positive because it is, it's every single one of those steps that makes a difference in how we're going to handle what comes next because we don't know what's going to come next. And people say, you know, the, the future is so unknown. Well, really our future is always unknown. We can't control if, you know, somebody cuts us off and makes us angry or we can't, you know, we can't control if somebody hits us with their car. We can't control if, uh, if a business decides to close their doors. So we, we don't always have that certainty anyway. So I think these skills are so important to use and learn as we, you know, go through these uncharted waters called life. 
Yeah, so true, Autumn. And I want to just make one last comment too before I know we're probably getting close to time. Um, but I just, with what you said, and especially keeping in mind like your vision and what this podcast is all about, right? Of living your life alive. Like living your life alive is living all of the feelings of life. Yes. So right now, the goal is probably not happiness, and that's okay. We don't have to, and we won't feel happy all the time. You're allowed to feel scared. You're allowed to feel anger. It's what we do with them and how we cope with them. And I do think when you're working with having children in your home, like you want to do some work to work through those feelings, you're allowed to have them and work through them and then try to present yourself like grounded towards your children. But absolutely, it's hard right now being a parent and trying to have, you know, potentially trying to now become a teacher to your children and working and maybe one person's lost their job, right? You're not going to do it perfectly. And, and this, the point here is not to do it perfectly. It's accepting, like you said, we already couldn't control everything. And I think what's so fascinating to me is that the clients that I've worked with with anxiety or OCD are actually handling this current crisis better than many people who don't have those diagnoses because they've already processed in their lives that they can't accept everything, that they have to accept things that they can't control that stress them out. And I think for the rest of us, it's a good, this is a really cool opportunity, even though it's a really tragic situation, but it's a very amazing opportunity to learn now that in case you thought prior that you could control everything, now you should hopefully really be realizing that you can't and that it's okay to have the different types of feelings because living alive really means experiencing everything not just the good it's the yes. bad too the hard thank too. you thank you so much for that point and bringing that up because it's so important you know that we don't call this show live a happy life and there's actually ted talks on you know the fact that we are, we think especially as americans we're supposed to be happy all the time makes us very unhappy because it's okay to just wake up in a funk and you don't really know why it's okay to just be really sad it's okay to be angry it's okay to be frustrated and just to learn to feel all those and give each other grace and be respectful of all those emotions that we're going through, just like you described in part of the grief process, but it's so normal. And then I think we shame ourselves for feeling disappointed. I mean, I, I was supposed to be with uh, my family next week, all my family, and we were supposed to be in the middle of a commitment ceremony and it's all been canceled. It's very disappointing. And then all of a sudden you feel shame. Like well, I can't be that upset. Other people have other things going on that are way worse. No, it is okay to be upset. It's okay yes. to be in your own life and be upset and recognize those emotions and feelings and still wake up. You know, it's still okay to wake up in gratitude at the same time. All of that is okay. Yes. And just to give ourselves that, that we, we don't have to feel a certain way. And, and if you're feeling sadness, it's okay. You know, whatever you're feeling is okay through this process. So I'm so glad you brought that up because feeling alive is absolutely encompasses all that. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And I'm really, the way that you worded it was so great. I was actually just talking about that with someone today. It, you can, this is called dialectic thinking, holding space for two contradictory ideas, which is exactly what you beautifully described already, which is that you're, you are allowed to grieve the loss of getting to have that commitment ceremony right now with your family. It's okay. You can hold space for that and hold gratitude for a position of privilege that income still coming in and you're not ill at the same time. It doesn't have to be either or this guilt feeling just needs to go because it does no one any good <laughs> and it's okay. Like we can, we can have a lot of gratitude for the things that we have. Cause I'm one of those people. I'm very grateful for so many things right now that could be so much worse. And yet it's okay for us to have 
other things that we feel sadness or anger or anxiety about. We're allowed to have both. And it doesn't mean that these, you know, gratitude is some mutually exclusive thing where you can't have these other emotions while still being grateful. So I think that was a really good point that you made. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today and the conversation and your insight and experience. I know that people, I've gotten nuggets from you and I know people will get, you know, have nuggets and I just encourage people to practice these nuggets um, because it is just about practice and, and just becoming, I love that humans are, I always say human becomings is that we're just all trying to do our best with what we have right now. And it's a little scary, but um, that we're here for each other. And I just appreciate you so much and um, all the work that you're doing for other people. Well, thank you so much, Autumn. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is something I feel very passionate about. So I'm excited that you're getting this information out there to more people. So and how can people find you or connect with you? I know um, you're a licensed therapist in Colorado, so you can only serve people in Colorado, but I know um, you're starting to do some coaching as soon as we get on the other side of this. So um, watch Allie for that. But um, can you just tell people how to get in touch with you and maybe if they can't or they want to reach out to somebody similar um, with similar, similar skill set in another state, how can they do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of times just a quick comment on what you said about out of the country. A lot of times if you're out of the country, you actually could work with me or anybody in the country. Um, because when you're outside of the U S the rules are different. Um, so I'd be happy to help anybody who's out of the country, but if you're in the continental USA, um, you do have to meet with a therapist who is licensed in your particular state. So for anybody who's in Colorado and listening to this, um, you can look at my website. It's www.wholehealth, W-H-O-L-E. So wholehealthcounseling.net. And that is, that name partially comes from my experience um, in the fitness industry and trying to incorporate all aspects of health spiritually, physically, mentally, psychologically, um, not just you know, for, I work with a lot of people who want to explore other ways of getting help besides just medication. And then if you are looking for a therapist and you're in another state, I have a couple quick tips that I'll leave you with today. Um, first of all, check your insurance plan. Um, you can pull your card out of your wallet right now and take a look at the back of it. On the back of the card, there's a member services number. You can call that number to clarify and find out if your plan covers mental health. And if so, what types of services um, they cover. Typically, there is um, what we call a CPT code. And if anyone listening wants to jot that down, it's 90837. And that's something that ideally your operator on the phone should know this and you don't need to remember it. But occasionally, if you get someone who doesn't know, um, because sometimes you do get a wide variety of responses when you call insurance. That is the code for a typical um, hour-long therapy session that you would want to find out if your insurance covers that. If your insurance does not cover that, um, there are many therapists available at a sliding scale fee at Open Path Collective. And I can give that to you, Autumn, to add in the show notes if you'd like. They um, are a collective of therapists that offer a sliding scale of $30 to $60 per session to people. Um, And you can start with Open Path if you need that. Um, And if you're open to a wide variety of payment options, um, private pay, then you can 
usually my recommendation is going by word of mouth. Um, I encourage you to ask around the people that you know who've been in therapy and get word of mouth recommendations. That's where most of mine have come from. You can also check on your insurance panel. If you are covered um, through your insurance, you can check on the panel's listing of all the therapists and then look at their websites. I always encourage people to try out a couple people. It's kind of like dating. You need to shop around a little bit to find someone who's the right fit for you. So I always encourage people to start with at least three um, consult calls. If you can find at least three, I recognize for people in a rural community, you might not have that luxury, but for those who do, um, I always encourage you to try a couple people and see who with their free, most therapists offer a free phone consultation. So use, take advantage of that. Listen to the voice of the person and their personality. See if you feel like you're a good fit. I always encourage people if they don't feel like I'm the right fit, then my obligation is to give them three other names of somebody else that could be a fit. Um, that's part of our ethical duty as therapists. And I really think people need to get the right help regardless of who the person is. So a good therapist is going to give you options for other people if you don't think they're the right fit. So that's how I would start. That's great advice. And I totally agree with the two to three people because it's just about a relationship. It's just about who you feel comfortable with. So it's a great yes. recommendation. And um, I will put your website in the show notes so people can take a peek there. And again, Allie, I just thank you so much. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for your time and jumping in to learn how to live your best life uh, totally alive right now. And um, thanks again for everybody helping each other and encouraging each other and giving each other grace through this time. Thanks, Allie. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. And remember, good friends don't keep great messages to themselves. So keep the ripples moving and share this episode with your friends. Also, wherever you listen to podcasts, please take a moment to review or download this episode. Also, I would love to connect with you. Regardless of where you're at on your journey, maybe you're feeling like you can't set sail or maybe you're out there rocking the open seas. Find me at autumnshields.com or on social and say hello. Also, if you would like a complimentary coaching sesh, all you have to do is click on Let's Connect and let me know three things you would like to get out of the conversation and we will make it happen. So make today the day you decide to live your life alive and leave room for the unimaginable. So until next time, keep following the nudges.